Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. another Christmas coming up and it's a busy time of the year for some people are unwinding for others it gets busier I'm sure you all know the story about Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer I wonder if you know uh, where that story comes from well one of the most beloved Christmas carols started out as an advertising gimmick In 1939, Montgomery Ward tapped advertising executive Robert May to write a poem that their store Santa Claus could give away to children who came to visit him. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer first appeared in a little booklet published by a department store chain and more than 2.5 million copies were handed out. And in 1946, more than 6 million copies of the poem were distributed. Rudolph's story came to musical life in 1949 when Robert May's brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, wrote the music. After it was turned down by Bing Crosby and Dina Shaw, singing cowboy Gene Autry recorded it. Today, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is the highest-selling Christmas carol at more than 25 million units. What makes this little carol so loved, one would ask. Some people might say that it's the pluckiness and courage of Rudolph, the alleged hero of the story. But the real beauty of the focus stays on grace. By grace, Santa chooses Rudolph despite the fact that he's a clear outsider and reject. He has a defect, his big, annoyingly shiny red nose that has usually disqualified him from getting chosen for other reindeer games. But despite all the other available candidates, who did Santa choose or elect when the fog rolled in? That's right, the one with a weird, shiny red nose. The weakness that was considered a liability by Rudolph and his fellow reindeer became the strength that Santa used to accomplish his mission. So that's the story about Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. I want to share with you a passage from John chapter 1, but before I do that, I want to give you a bit of background on the Gospel of John. The main theme of the Gospel of John is Jesus as the Son of God. If you look at the four Gospels, you'd ask the question, well, why are there four? Well, Matthew Uh, is written, the Gospel of Matthew is written by a Jew, and he presents Jesus as King of the Jews. The the Gospel of Matthew has the most Old Testament quotes, and because Matthew is a tax collector, he gives the most parables and illustrations about money, and written to a Jewish audience. Mark, on the other hand, is written to Romans, and he writes... Uh, very spontaneously and says, hey, this Jesus uh, has not come to bully people, but he has come to serve. He's not come to put his feet up, but he has come to be a servant and presents Jesus 
as the servant of God. Luke, on the other hand, presents Jesus as this man-God, one who, who performs miracles, written in posh Greek, because he's a medical doctor and gives the most illustrations about miracles and about healings. John writes probably 20 or 30 years later, and he presents Jesus as the Son of God. He gives those seven amazing I Am statements. He also gives some wonderful teaching on, on the word miracle. He uses the word sign and miracle synonymously. And he says that these signs, these miracles that Jesus performs, are signs that he is the Son of God. And so when you begin to look at this book, you begin to see uh, words like uh, life and love and witness and, and not belief, but believe and truth and, and to know and, and light versus darkness and the world versus flesh. And so he takes those beautiful concepts and he allows them to be put into practice. He goes and shows us those seven signs running concurrently with those seven I am statements. And he says that when Jesus turned water into wine, it's his, his power over quality. The nobleman's son healed, Jesus' power over distance. And the impotent man healed, Jesus' power over time. And carries on uh, that Jesus is better than anything that has come before. And that's confirmed in the book of Hebrews. One of the things he does is use the word believe. He never uses it in the noun form as belief or faith, but he uses the word pistebe, which is in the imperative mood, uh, which actually says believe. So when you believe, you basically drink or you receive. You take up your mat and you walk and you do something that it puts your faith into action. And it's all done in the routine of daily life. And he says... You enter into the things of God. You eat, you come, you drink, you receive the things of God. And he says, like, when you begin to do these things, it's like drinking fresh water. It's like entering a door into the sheepfold. Because the need is met and your thirst is quenched and your hunger is satisfied. And so it's faith in action, if you like. Why? Because Jesus, John says, is the Son of God. Now with that background, we read John chapter 1, verses 35 and 36. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Some translations say, Behold, the Lamb of God. Of God. And folk, we, we all know that old, old story that God created Adam and Eve. They rebelled against God. Uh, there was a, a schism in that relationship. And God needs to punish sin. So he sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay that penalty of sin, to introduce a law that is good news. Because some people say, well, the law is bad news. The law is bad for us. Because when we break the law, we get punished. But friends, the law is good news. That red traffic light is good news because if we break it, then our lives or the lives around us could be taken. 
And so the law is good news. So God introduces the Ten Commandments. He introduces all those bylaws. But then eventually, all of that needs to be punished. All our rebellion and our sin needs to be punished. That S-I-N needs to be dealt with. And it's dealt with on the cruel cross on Calvary through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's more beautiful than that is that even if we commit S-I-N-S, sins, which we all do regularly, whether we like it or not, whether we deny it or not, that is a fact. We still have forgiveness of S-I-N-S. Not only the curse of S-I-N is taken away, but the forgiveness of S-I-N-S, forgiveness of sins, is dealt with on the cross of Calvary. And so God puts away that curse. And that's the story, whether you believe it or not, that is a fact. No wonder we read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the festive season. As you walk the shops, I wonder if you've seen the Lamb of God. Have you seen the Lamb of God that was born in a manger? Or do you still see uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all the uh, commercial gimmicks that are around? When, Paul, uh, when, when John writes to us and he says, Behold, or have you seen the Lamb of God? Behold Him. He's talking about staring at Him. Not being distracted by something else this festive season. But to look at Him. To behold Him. To see Him and to take Him in. And He becomes part of who we are. Not, okay, well, I'm glad this busy time of the year has come and gone. But, you know, we'll do it again next year. Are we delighted that this is going to happen and that's going to happen? Or it's perhaps a, a sad time for some because some won't be around the table with us? A really difficult time. But at the end of the day, what John says is, Behold the Lamb of God. Stare at Him. Look at Him. That word, Ithor, means to see Him by implication, to know Him and to know Him intimately. He's talking about being aware of Him and to consider Him and, and to perceive Him and be sure to, to know about Him and understand who He is. That He's not this big hero that has come about, but He's the Lamb of God that was born in a manger. And folks, that manger was not a little nice little place, but it was uh, spoken of in the Old Testament that He would be born in that manger, and that's a, a, a picture of what the manger would look like. And as you look at that, that picture of the manger, it was basically a place where you would, the priest would take an unblemished lamb, a little lamb that was perfect, and put in that manger to be protected by the animals around there, so it would not be... Uh, scarred or hurt because the sacrifice had to be the perfect lamb, unblemished, without spot or marks. And so the priest would get this unblemished lamb, put it in the manger. And that was a type, it was a forecast of, of what Jesus would do on the cross of Calvary as the perfect, sinless Son of God. And John is saying, behold the Lamb of God. Perceive Him. Look at Him. 
understand him, take him in, and let him become part of you, because this is the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. Perceive him. It's not a mistake that they couldn't find a place in the inn. It's not a mistake that uh, the inn was full. It's not a mistake that they had to go there and Jesus were to be put in a manger. It was spoken of in the Old Testament and that had to come to pass. And it did come to pass. No wonder, John says, behold uh, the Lamb of God. With that, he's saying, listen, gaze at him. Watch him. Take him in. I'm reminded about two beautiful passages in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. And Jeremiah writes and he says, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Or I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. And so it became part of me. You became part of me, God. And so as you behold the Lamb of God, does he become part of you? What do you behold this festive season? Is it the, the excitement or the boredom of Christmas or the expense of Christmas? Is it that frustration or the joy? Or is there anything that's, that's you know, taking you away from beholding and understanding the Lamb of God? Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 3, then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. As you begin to look at the Lamb of God, as you begin to, to take Him in, to behold Him, to understand Him, He is the Son of God. And John is saying in these two verses, think about Him. Study him this festive season. Get to know all about him. Look at him up and down. This is the Son of God. As a sinner, I stand and I observe what he has done for me. And I need to say, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. As I study the cross of Calvary, I begin to, to see my crucified Savior. I begin to, to behold him uh, and, and to wonder with absolute amazement what he has done for me and what he continues to do for me day after day after day. As you behold him this festive season, can you say it is he? It's he. I identify him. And I want to gaze at him and I want to take him in and I want to stare at him and understand him and, and consume him. Because he is my everything. He's more than anything else that I can ever imagine. Behold the Lamb of God. Look unto him, John is saying, and be saved. Saved from what, you might say? Well, saved from a lost eternity. Saved from our, our personal rebellion. Well, I'm not such a bad person that I rebel against God. By virtue that we are born, we are born rebellious. You don't need to teach a kid to be naughty. They are naughty by nature. They are naughty by nature. If you're in denial, <laughs> have another kid. <laughs> but by the grace of God, as they behold the Lord Jesus Christ, because we've beheld him, 
and we've consumed him and he's part of our lives, hopefully we reflect the Lord Jesus Christ as we understand the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, they too can uh, see our lives and want him. It is he. And I want to encourage you this festive season, take your eyes off everything else and behold the Lamb of God. Behold him because he's the greatest valuable asset we can ever have the side of eternity. And as we begin to humble ourselves before him, and as, begin, as we begin to bear who he is, and he rises as the greatest priority in our lives, so we begin to realize that on that cross, as he was on that cross nailed for your sins and for my sins, And for the sin and curse of the whole world, he said, it is finished. Deteleste. It is made perfect. John is saying, behold that perfection. His name is Jesus Christ. When John saw his disciples, he said, behold the Lamb of God. Behold him. There is no one that's come that is like him. And he's saying, Take your eyes off me, the forerunner of Jesus, and put your eyes on this Lamb of God. He's saying, begin to look how he walks, and walk in his footsteps, and eat his dust, as it were. Be caked in his dust as you walk in his footsteps. Because those who look at you will be able to say, this is one like Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. Because one day, one day, if you look at the signs of the times, one day, not too long in my opinion, we'll all stand and hopefully we'll kneel before the Lamb of God and we'll be able to cry out. Revelation chapter 5 verse 13. We'll be able to say, blessing and honor. And so it says there, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. Behold that lamb because one day we will bow before him whether it's by choice or not. And what a blessing it is that we can... That we can kneel before him and say, ancient of days. We behold you, Lamb of God. We consume you. We take you in. And you are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's the one that delivers. He's the one that we can put our faith and trust in. He's the one who a week before Christmas guides us every moment of the day. He's the one that comforts our hearts where no one can comfort our hearts, where nothing on this earth can comfort our hearts, but only the Lamb of God. There is victory that's found in the Lamb of God. You know, God said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved Son. John said, behold the Lamb of God. For me, 
He is my way, my truth, and my life. I don't know what you can say. What is he to you this festive season? Who is he to you this festive season? Let me end off by reading you who he is, and you can decide who he is for you. In Exodus 3.14, we read that the first time the I am statement is taken. Where it says, I am the way for the traveling, John 14.6. I am the truth, if distressed, in John 14.6. I am the life for the dying, in John 14.6. I am the bread, John 6.48, and the rest, Hebrews 4.9. I am the rock for the fainting, Exodus 17, 6. I am the light for the groping, John 1, 7. I am the bush by the way, Exodus 3, 2. I am the lion of Judah, Revelation 5, 5. I am the branch, Isaiah 11, 1. And the vine, John 15, 1. I am the friend at midnight, Luke 11, 5. I am the captain divine, Joshua 5, 14. I am the prince of peace, Isaiah 9, 6. I am the wonderful one, Isaiah 9.6. I am the Father eternal, Isaiah 9.6. I am the well-beloved son, Matthew 3.17. I am the coming bridegroom, Matthew 25.6. I am the manna, Exodus 16.15. And the rod, Exodus 4.2. And I can carry on and carry on and carry on. Who is he for you this festive season? Is he the Lamb of God or is he just somebody else going back to who is he? Because in the New Testament, the translation I am is not written correctly in English. Because in the New Testament, ego imi, which is a direct translation from the Old Testament I am, says I. I am. I. My very personhood. I am the way. I. I am the truth. I, I am the life. And what John is saying, behold him, because he's the greatest thing that's ever happened to any human being. Take him, consume him, behold him, get to know him personally and intimately. Behold the Lamb of God. God said, this is my beloved son. John said, behold the Lamb of God. That's what I say. Who do you say he is? And who are you beholding? Who are you looking at? Who are you understanding? Who are you wanting to know better this festive season? I encourage you, get to know the Lamb of God. Get to know that great I am and consume him, and take him in, and understand him. Because, as Ezekiel said, it became like honey to my mouth. Yes, sometimes it's hard, <laughs> like dry wheat picks, but the more we take him in, it becomes as sweet as honey. Behold the Lamb of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that it's not by might nor by power that we can overcome, but only by your Holy Spirit. And so come, Lord, and 
reveal yourself to us. Lord, we long to behold you, to take you in, to understand you, because you are the Lamb of God. Lord, we believe that it's only a miracle that can take place in our hearts to be able to behold you. Perform that miracle, we pray, Lord. And as you reveal yourself to us, and as we begin to behold you, we know, Lord, that you're the one that we want to spend eternity with. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray that we might behold you this festive season. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.